name is Marlo Reedling, um, if I don't know you all, and I've been at Encounter since uh, last August, so um, just about like, what, eight months or so, um, and I am part of the Phase small group, so good to meet you all. So Acts 37, or Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Thank you, Marlo. Good morning, Encounter Church. It's good to be able to gather together around God's Word, to be able to sing songs of encouragement to one another, and uh, to be uh, then open up God's word. This morning I got up and um, we heat, supplement our heat, our house heat some with a fireplace. And uh, often throughout the night the logs burn down and I'm left with just coals in the morning. And then I put some new logs in there. And I thought that's kind of what we do on Sunday mornings, right? After a week of uh, living life, all right, alone and, and on our own, sometimes we get burned down a little bit, don't we? And maybe we feel like we've lost some of that fire for the Lord, and then we come back together. It's like putting a group of logs in that fire, and we kind of encourage one another and, and find ourselves burning brightly again as we leave. And so I'm thankful that we can be here this morning uh, together. Many of you maybe have heard in the news that uh, they're calling it a revival, taking place at Asbury uh, College or University. Not exactly sure if it's college or university, but there's a, a revival taking place. And if you've not uh, seen the news, I'm sure a quick Google search uh, after this morning's sermon uh, would bring you up to speed on that some. But uh, on Wednesday morning, after as uh, just their chapel service, the students thought they were going in for a normal chapel service. And uh, that being said, uh, God... Spirit, it seems, has moved uh, in the hearts of some of those students, and they have remained in that chapel uh, since Wednesday morning, that people are packing that chapel, and they're praying and continuing to sing songs, and confession of sin is taking place. And it's kind of a cool thing that seems to be happening there at Asbury. Now, of course, us naysayers, naysayers right, we're quick to be like, uh, maybe it's just an emotional high, right? Uh, maybe, maybe this isn't like a revival, uh, but uh, time will tell, won't it? Right? The, the true test of a revival is the ongoing response, right? Sometimes we can come and we can get a spiritual high. We can sing lots of exciting songs and we can maybe get tinglys, uh, feel goods. Uh, but then uh, when the rubber meets the road, we, we realize that there's not been any lasting change. And so really the, the test for a revival is the response, right? How, how is a person's life different uh, a week later, a month later, a year later? Was that truly a revival? This morning, as we 
find ourselves back here in the book of Acts, uh, we have learned over the last couple of weeks what we would describe almost as like, like the perfect revival experience. But it wasn't revival because it was the initial, it was the initial pouring out of the Holy Spirit. All right, we saw that there a couple of weeks ago. We learned about that uh, as the Jewish believers, they had gathered there in Jerusalem. And for the day of Pentecost, the, a festival, a yearly festival that they celebrated every year. And it was on that day that now when we think of the day of Pentecost, we think of it as that day when, when God pours out his Holy Spirit. When Jesus' promise is fulfilled, he says, it's better for you that I leave you so that then the Holy Spirit can come. And that, that, that he will be your comforter. And so we saw then as all these people, right, they, they're, they're, they're the 120 who are gathered there in that upper room, uh, followers of Jesus Christ, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in all these different languages. So it's almost a reversal of the Tower of Babel. And, and then the people around them, right, the, the Jewish people who had gathered there in Jerusalem for that festival, they're wondering what on earth is going on. There was an attractive effect to it. And, uh, and then, so what does Peter do? We talked about this last week as we went through uh, much of Peter's sermon. Peter gets up and he says that this event that has taken place fulfills prophecy. And through this event, the sending of the Holy Spirit, uh, Joel's prophecy is fulfilled. David's prophecies are fulfilled. It only reiterates... It only reiterates the truth that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, that the long-awaited Messiah had come. And then Peter turns his attention to them and he says, and you are the ones who put him on the cross. And the people then are, are cut to the heart, it says. And, and Marlowe did such a wonderful job reading for us. We see here then in verse 37, and again, it, it is, right, that day of Pentecost was like a revival experience. Again, honestly, it's probably... Uh, not a revival, it was that initial outpouring of the Spirit. It's, it's what all revivals of this day, any revival that has, we've experienced since, since then, it, it's a reflection of that initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe what's going on over uh, down the street at, at Asbury, maybe uh, that is a, a true revival and, and time will tell. But the people... They call out, we see then in verse 37, go ahead and look there in your Bibles, that the people, they ask this question, okay? They ask a question. They, they, they want to know, right? How should we respond? Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Right? What shall we do? It is true that God's word always demands a response. All right, there should always be an effect on our hearts when we meditate on, when we study, when we hear God's word preached. Right? And what we see here in verse 37 is the people are displaying a sincere response to Peter's sermon. We know that the word of God is one of the primary means through which God brings conviction of sin in our lives. Right? God, again, as James tells us, it says God's word is like a mirror. And when we open God's word and, and as we see the reflection of our sinful hearts compared to, to God's word, uh, we, should, we should go about making changes in our lives. Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be like the guy who, looks up, who, who wakes up in the morning and realizes he needs to comb his hair and brush his teeth and maybe shave. 
Uh, we shouldn't be like that guy who walks away and does nothing looking in the mirror. He should actually, he or she should make, make changes, should do something about it. And so each week, even as we, as we begin this morning's sermon, uh, as the people, they call out and they say, brothers, what shall we do? My hope is that this morning, that will be our same response as we hear God's word. Is that we'll say, what shall we do? Right, each week as we settle in to hear God's word preach, preached as we daily in our own quiet times meditate on God's word or maybe as we gather in our encounter groups during the course of the week. Maybe you listen to sermons preached online by great preachers. Uh, we should always approach that with a desire to be changed. Our heart attitude should be open to conviction of sin and that there should be a longing in our hearts to want to make a change, to want to live in obedience to the Lord. And so we want to ask this same question, what shall we do? And so what, what Peter does now is he gives them, he gives them the right response, right? What is our response? Again, revival always demands a response. God's word is always calling for a response in our hearts. So this leads us then to the big idea for this morning is that the gospel witness requires a right response. The gospel witness requires a, a right response. This is what Peter had just stood up to preach. He had preached that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He had laid it out for them. And now the, the people rightly so, they say, what shall we do? And Peter now is going to give them the right response, and it's almost like a trifecta here in Derby world. Uh, it's a trifecta. It's, a, it's almost a Trinitarian response of so, some sort. Uh, and he's going to tell them, and he, he lays it out. He made, he made my sermon preparation a little bit easier because he gave me the three points already for me. What's the right response in threes and in, in thirds? The first one is going to be repent. The second right response, the second part of that right response is be baptized. And the third part of that right response, again, it's all one whole response divided into these three parts. Then the third part of that response is going to be receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to look at that this morning. The response of repentance, the response of being baptized, and then the response of receiving and living according to the Holy Spirit. So there is, again, there is a right response. Revival, time will tell in Asbury, time will tell. What's the right response? Does it make a long-term effect? And as you hear the gospel, as you hear God's word preached, it should make a long-term effect in your life. There's a response here for it. So let's look at the first one. The first one is this. He says to repent. And this is an immediate internal response. Okay, it's an immediate internal response. Genuine repentance acknowledges sin without making excuses. Now, how many of you all are good at making excuses for your sin, right? Yeah. How many of you think your neighbor's good at making excuses for their sins, right? How many of you like to blame your neighbor for your sin? Right? I think we all do, right? But genuine repentance has a way of, of, of cutting through the excuses, All right? Genuine repentance steps into the light of God's word and is exposed to the truth. Genuine repentance accepts the full consequences of sin, right? right? It, it acknowledges, 
it acknowledges that if I continue in this trajectory, if I continue walking in this way, that, that there are going to be consequences to my sinful decisions. In fact, genuine repentance also should include a, a sorrow to it. That there should be a, a, a sorrow that I experience, that I have grieved God's heart. Peter says, when the people say, brothers, what must we do? Peter says that the first right response is to repent. Is to acknowledge your, your sin. Now, we all understand and we all recognize that this word repent, it has tends to have a bit of a harsh tone sometimes, a harsh edge to it, doesn't it? Why? Because we live in a world that says, have it your way. Right? I mean, Burger King, that's their mantra right now, isn't it? Right? I think even on some of the commercials, it says, like, you are king or something to that extent. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a bold statement right there. And then they follow it up. Have it your way. I mean, this is the world that we live in, where the messages are constantly, whatever you want to do is good. Just have it your way. But yet we see here that, 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 that there's a, a way that God has designed us. That there's a way in which God has laid out for us. And repentance acknowledges, like, like it goes against the world's messages toward us. And we have to be willing to say, you know what, having it my way probably isn't having it God's way. And so I need to acknowledge that and I should repent of that. And what Peter is doing is, Peter is saying, do not delay in this repentance. There's, there's an immediate internal response. Don't delay. Don't put this off. Don't procrastinate anymore. Just do it and do it now. Stealing from Nike. Right? Just do it right now. Repent of that. Turn from this. In fact, our study through the book of Acts is going to continue to bring to our attention the important response of repentance. We'll see it in Acts, in Acts chapter 3. We'll see it in Acts chapter 5. We'll see it in Acts chapter 8, chapter 13, chapter 17, chapter 19, and chapter 20. In each of those chapters, eight more times, we're going to see this, this mantra, this important step of repentance. It's a, it's, a, it's a response, right? It's a response to the gospel of repentance and when we're, when we're truly repentant, when we are filled with sorrow over our sin, there's going to be an earnestness to turn away from sin, to seek to be changed. The word repent simply means to turn around. It's a military term that described a soldier who was marching in one direction, but then does an about face and starts marching in the other direction. And when it's used in a spiritual sense, it means to change your mind and to turn from your previous sinful actions to find your former way of sin as a bitter taste and to turn to the sweetness of joy that you experience when you follow the Lord's leading. 
Some time ago, I heard Charles Lindner shared his, has shared his testimony with me and, and shared some of his experience when he first trusted in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you all, but uh, Charles Lindner is a gift to this church body. And, and, and we, can, we can applause Charles. He's a gift to this church body. He serves this church body in more ways than even I know. And oftentimes, I might think of something that needs to be done, and Charles will have already done it five weeks previous. Charles is just that type of guy. But Charles has not always been that type of guy. And I asked Charles to come and just briefly share with us his experience when he first trusted in Jesus and for Charles, what repentance looked like in his life and how there was an immediate changing of direction. So Charles, come on up here and uh, just share with us some of your testimony and what repentance looks like. Uh, that he pastor wanted me to do this. I'm not easily putting words together, so please bear with me. Um, my wife was saved three months prior to my conversion. That was back in 1979. She started attending a local church, and I did go on occasion. The pastor from that church visited me three times at our house to share the gospel, and I dumbfounded him because I understood what he was saying, but I would not put my trust in Christ. He just couldn't figure that out. Um, <clears throat> we started going to another church after that, and that church family started to love us in ways that I had never seen before, and I think that's what was missing when that pastor was trying to talk to me, was I wasn't seeing the love of Christ. I didn't know how to get in touch with him. Uh, I wanted to become a member there, I'm a logical man, and I didn't even think to look in phone books. And that's all we had back then was phone books, no cell phones, no nothing like that. Um, so I was sitting there watching TV, and lo and behold, there's a knock on my front door. Guess who it was? It was Pastor Jim. I wanted to get a hold of him. He shared an illustration with me that made it so, so very clear to me what the gospel really did as far as love and grace and mercy. Um, so that night, June 16th, 1979, about 8 p.m., that's when I accepted Christ. I remember the date and time almost clearly to this day. Now back to what the pastor wanted me to talk about, my conversion and how I repented. Prior to this, I drank a lot. Uh, I wasn't, it was more on parties and stuff like that, and gatherings, I drank a lot. But I drank so much that I would get, get drunk, pass out, get sick, and all that kind of stuff. I guess the Holy Spirit, though, was working on me somehow, because I figured my life was going to be in a ruin if I kept going in that direction. The night before I got saved, I went to a retirement party. I told myself I was not going to drink. Yeah, right. I still drank. I didn't get drunk, but I did drink. Back to that night, I accepted Christ, and after the pastor left, I immediately dumped all the alcohol down the drain, and that's where the conversion 
repentance came in in my life as far as the drinking in my life. A second thing that God did through the Holy Spirit was also convict me of my language that I was using. And people did notice that where I worked, that I stopped saying certain words. Um, and that was a testimony to God. I want to share a couple of scriptures with you. The first is Revelation 3.20. I know that's not a salvation verse per se, but I look at it as my salvation verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The other one is, and it goes along with the language part of my testimony here, and it's the first part of Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To me, this was the evidence of repentance in my life. Also, evangelism was a very big part of this, and I want to give a shout-out for Dan for doing these classes coming up in the next few weeks on evangelism. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. <clears throat> and you notice how there was, an, there was an immediate change in Charles' life. Now, for some of us, there, right, there are aspects of our lives that will continue to change over time, right? We don't snap our fingers as much as it would, as nice as it would be. If you could snap your fingers and you could be like Jesus. Uh, for, for each of us, that's a lifelong journey, but yet Charles, in his repentance, as the gospel witness was presented to him, he, he responded, his, his response was right. His, right, his response was according to what Peter said, to repent. And he acknowledged these areas of his life that needed to change. And so he took immediate action. For him, that very night was, I need to get rid of this alcohol because this is not helpful for my walk with Jesus. And he did it. And he changed his language. I wonder for you. Right? Follower of Jesus Christ. May, many of us in here, we uh, claim to follow Jesus. And yet we are still harboring sin. We are still, there are still willful sins in our lives that we are holding on to. The right response to the gospel is to turn from that, is to repent. I have no idea how much value right, that alcohol was as it went down the drain for, for Charles. But Charles said, who cares? Who cares? Making, do, doing the right thing, turning to the Lord, living for the Lord is more important than that. And so church, I encourage you, repent, turn from your sin. That's the right response. And if you've never done that, uh, if, you've, if, you've, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and even now, if at this point, right, you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, this immediate internal response, if God has given you the faith to believe, that immediate internal response is repent, turn from your sin, and acknowledge God's way is better than your own way. The next response then that Peter gives, gives us is to be baptized. We see there again, verse 
what, what is that? Verse 30, right? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, right? The second right response, be baptized. Baptism is a believer's opportunity for a public profession of faith. Baptism is not the mechanism for salvation, but it's an illustrative external response. Again, repentance is the immediate internal response. Now, baptism is the illustrative external response. Now, this evening, and again, Charles, he has his Philadelphia Eagles shirt on underneath his striped collared shirt. But this evening, a Super Bowl champion is going to be decided. Right after the game is over, the football commissioner is going to stand with the winning team on a platform and will declare the reigning Super Bowl champions and will hand them the, the Lombardi Trophy. And then, soon thereafter, again, so, so, so the victory is won on the field. The victory is going to be declared on the stage. But yet, the victory is going to be illustrated externally as in probably in a few days, maybe even a few weeks, many of those players are going to purchase or be given, I don't know how it works, they'll be given Super Bowl championship rings, won't they? And they will wear that ring with pride, showing an event that happened previously. And church, in a way, in a similar way, that's what the act of baptism is. It's the external display of an event that has happened previously in your life and in my life. Some people take this verse as evidence that baptism is necessary. And again, I, I can easily see how that would be the case, right? Peter would say, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But we, we also understand that's, that's, a, that's a misreading of this verse, and it's an inconsistent application based on the entire theme of salvation uh, through faith that we see throughout Scripture, right? That's, that's a theme that is woven all throughout Scripture, that salvation is by faith. We see that all the way back even with Abram, uh, way back in the book of Genesis, where we are told that Abram was declared righteous because of his faith, not because of his actions, but it was by faith that he was declared righteous. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul tells us, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves. Instead, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You, you even think about the thief on the cross, where Jesus promises paradise to the thief on the cross. And he, he makes a promise that the thief doesn't say, oh, well, hold on just a minute. Let me crawl off the cross, go get baptized, so that then I'll crawl back up. Then I'll die. No, there's a promise made to the thief of paradise, of salvation, even without baptism. We do see that Peter closely ties repentance and baptism together. Why? Because of the expectation that a believer who inwardly turned from their sin through repentance will naturally desire to go public with their faith through baptism. See, baptism is the occasion of a verbal confession 
that Jesus is Lord of your life. And so this instruction that Peter provides is for every person. Do you see it there, right? It says, be baptized. Who should be baptized? Every one of you, Peter says. Every one of you who repents is then to be baptized. Baptism is a public break with the former way of life. It's a commitment that you're making to a new way of living in a similar way that repentance is the action of turning from, from and turning toward, baptism provides us with a similar picture that we are dying as, as we're going down in the waters of baptism. We're dying to our old way of life. As we come out of the water, we're being raised into the newness of life. It gives us that picture of repentance that says, I was going this way, but now I'm going this way. We even consider the Great Commission passage of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. What is Jesus' instruction? Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, right? The, the, the instruction of baptism is here. So my encouragement to you, if, if you are one who is making, who, who has been given the gift of faith and you have come to that point, as Charles described, at the ripe age of 29 years old, at 29 years old, Charles, Charles trusted in Jesus. He heard the gospel witness presented to him by his pastor. And he believed. He repented of that. He made that decision. Maybe today is your day of salvation. And maybe today is the day in which you say, I, I believe. I'm willing to repent and turn from my sin. My, my encouragement to you is now to step into the waters of baptism. Maybe you've been following Jesus for many years and you've never been baptized. You need to be baptized. And, and, and this is not me, right, being some sort of legalist about this. This instead is just the instruction of Scripture. Where Peter says, be baptized. Who? Every one of you. Why? Because it's the way in which we declare to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who have who have believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've turned from your sin, that you're turning from your sin. And if you've not been baptized. I would encourage you, come and talk to me. Talk to Pastor Dan, talk to one of the elders. Let's let's set up this time in the next few weeks when we can roll out that nice hot bubbly, uh, that hot tub. I mean, we used to do it in a cattle trough. At least now we have heated water for you and bubbles for the after party, right? We'll, 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 we'll pour that thing out. We'll, we'll get that out and we'll baptize you. Every one of you. Now, for, for many of us. Those of us who have been baptism, that baptism is, is a landmark decision, right? Last, a year ago, November, over a year ago, my, my two boys were baptized. They both got in the waters of that baptism. And that's a point in their life that they should look back on as a means of encouragement, as a means of accountability, as a means of assurance. 
When I was in sixth grade, Pastor Warren baptized me. And that's a landmark decision that I remind myself. Baptism, it serves as a public witness that that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that I've died to my old way of living, and that I'm now alive in Christ Jesus, and that His resurrection power through the Holy Spirit pulses through my veins. And with that being the case, my baptism should cause me to ask myself, am I living? Does Does my life reflect that of a baptized believer? Baptism also serves as a personal witness. Again, we we look back on that as a reminder of our commitment to the Lord. There's There's an old saying that says, remember your baptism. How often, church, do you remind yourself that you went public in obedience and declared your allegiance to Jesus Christ? Baptism also is beneficial for us as a church body that it's a congregational witness. It invites us as a church family that, that, that we are identifying with other believers in our public profession, but at the same time, as the congregation, as the church family, we are committing ourselves to you to help you and hold you accountable to this statement of faith that you are making. And baptism also serves as a hopeful witness to us of our future resurrection of Christ. Baptism. We look back on baptism. It helps us endure in this life. And it helps point us to the life to come. Because through baptism we remind ourselves of the certainty. That all who are in Christ Jesus. Will be raised to that eternal newness of life. For all eternity. Are you ever discouraged or exhausted in this life? Let your baptism point you forward to your promised resurrection. And now to those of us, again, as I've mentioned, if you've not been baptized, what are you waiting for? The right response, repent, Peter says. The right response, be baptized. Then the third part of this right response is to receive the Holy Spirit, which is the empowered, continual response. Again, repent is that immediate internal response. Be baptized is that illustrative external response. And now we have, he says, receive the Holy Spirit, which is the empowered, continual response. He says this, He says, and you will receive, what a wonderful promise, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God calls. It's the Holy Spirit, now catch this, it's the Holy Spirit who enables and empowers us to live out this new life. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to to remain consistent in our repentance. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to remain consistent in living the life of one who has gone public with their faith in baptism. I think even through this teaching series, one thing that I'm learning more and more is the significance and the importance of the Holy Spirit. And And the significance of Jesus giving us 
his Holy Spirit in salvation. Oftentimes, when I think about salvation, right, I think a lot of us maybe do, uh, we, we tend to think of it in terms of uh, fire insurance, right? It's, it's saving me from uh, eternal judgment. To use maybe a, a, a stronger word that maybe we should use, saving me from eternal damnation, separation from God. I think of that, and that's oftentimes I think, Whoo, I need to ask Jesus to forgive me because I don't want to be separated from him for all of eternity. But what we forget is it's not that he's just saving us from something, but he's actually saving us to something. And he's saving us to a renewal of life, to a new way of living. And that's why we were given the Holy Spirit. We were given the Holy Spirit so that we can be changed. So that Charles is a different man now than he was when he first came to know the Lord at the age of 29. And is certainly a different man than he was when he was 28 and a half years old. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not an optional add-on in this transaction of salvation. Right? It's not like buying a car and choosing whether or not you want heated seats or not. My wife was riding in a car that had heated seats the other day, and it was hard for her to give the car back because our seats are not heated. <laughs> the giving of the Holy Spirit, though, is a promise guarantee. It, it's a significant part of your salvation. Even regarding the Holy Spirit, one commentator wrote, he, said, he says that we have seen that the Holy Spirit in Acts is particularly associated with the restoration purchase, purposes of God. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to restore us. The, the Holy Spirit enables Jesus' people to live in Jesus' way and so that they can be Jesus' witnesses of his resurrection. Even a helpful study, and I do ask, would you turn there to, to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 8. If, you're, if you find yourself there in the book of Acts, this is an easy find or easier find. Uh, just turn to the next book. So you're going to be turning toward the back of the Bible, to the back of your copy of God's Word, to, to Romans chapter 8. Paul himself, in this, this book of Romans, dedicates three chapters, chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, to helping us to see the newness of life and following the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit's lead. I'd like us to look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5, and just listen to the important role of the Holy Spirit in your response to the gospel. He says, starting in verse 5, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desire. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh, they cannot please God. But you, however, now he's speaking to those who have trusted in Jesus. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even your body is subject to death because of sin. But the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Listen to these verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. See, what Paul's telling us, he's not saying you earn your salvation by that. But instead, he is saying that that because you have received the Holy Spirit, which is a guaranteed promise of, of your salvation, you will live it out by choosing, by finding yourself choosing more and more to do what is pleasing to the Lord. Right. How do you grow in maturity? How do you grow in spiritual maturity? You find yourself saying no to sin more today than you said no to sin yesterday. That's what it is, right? Charles Lindner, and sorry, Charles, you're like my primary illustration for this morning's sermon. Thanks for letting me call you at 1.30 yesterday afternoon. Uh, he won't ever pick up my phone on a Saturday afternoon again, right? But, but that, like, the, the, the understanding of, of growing in his spiritual maturity is that Charles Lindner finds himself saying no to sin more, no, no to temptation. He says no to temptation more now than he did when he was 29 years old. But it begins with that initial repentance. It begins with that initial step of acknowledging and saying, right now, I'm having it my way. But here's the gospel witness. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the risen Lord. I'm going to acknowledge that, repent, turn from my ways, begin to live his way. I'm going to go public with it through this illustrative activity of being baptized. I'm going to tell my neighbors. I'm going to tell my family members. I'm going to tell the world that, I, that my allegiance has now changed. It's no longer me, but it's now Christ Jesus whom I, who I'm living my life to. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, that enduring, empowered, continual response to the gospel witness is the Spirit is helping me to say no to the flesh and yes to right living according to Christ Jesus. What's the right response to the gospel? Repent, be baptized, and live it out by receiving the Holy Spirit and living according to the Spirit. Church, if you say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and have remained unchanged by it or have an unwillingness to turn from your sin, my encouragement to you is to reevaluate your salvation. Is to, re to ask yourself and say, 
Have I believed in the first place? <laughs> I don't mean to bring doubt into all of you, but, that, but this, right, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. It will change you. And it should change us. And with God's help, each of us will continue to walk in this way. Amen, church. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for Peter's sermon. God, I thank you that your spirit has, I pray, Lord, has guided and directed me this morning in this presentation. And now, Lord, I just ask God that um, help all of us to respond, uh, to find ourselves asking that same question that the people asked, what must we do? And God, I, pr I pray for those this morning who in here would say, there is sin that I need to repent of and I need to turn from it. I need to get rid of it. I need to join with Charles and dumping it down the drain. I need to put myself in this different situation. And God, I pray, Lord, that they would take it serious enough. That all of us would take your word serious enough to make those changes. And God, I'm thankful of the promise that we are told, I believe in 1 John, that if you confess your sin, that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that in that repentance, um, there is grace there. There's grace there. Father, help us to walk into that grace this morning even. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family.